So, we're in our series about the way to life, and today it's the secret of life, part two. So the secret is out. Last week, we were looking at this famous Bible passage of Jesus' teaching. It's often called the Beatitudes, and Steve Chick spoke on the first half of these verses, which really uh, are about our own internal self and our relationship with God. Talking about blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're all attitudes of our heart, the things between us and God. And if you missed it last week, I'd encourage you to listen to it because what I'm saying today builds on what we said last week. So you'd need to catch up on that. I'd recommend it. Um, but now, in these verses that we're going to look at in a moment, the, future, the, the focus turns more external, turns more outward. And that's a, a test of whether our faith is real. Because our faith can never be just about what goes on in us. Our faith actually has to work out until it touches those who are around us and further away. Christian faith cannot just be an internal matter. So let's read these words of Jesus. They're in Matthew 5. If you're following, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, we need to be careful just at this moment. You see, this teaching of Jesus is not a new moral code, not a new set of rules that we have to apply we need to be crystal clear here this morning. I don't want anyone to go away not understanding this. That of first importance in the Christian faith is our being, not our doing. As the famous Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones says, a Christian is something before he does anything. And we have to be Christian before we can act as Christians. These are not some principles that we kind of stick on like a plaster to us from the outside in. The Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, was given to us to show us what was right and also show us that we could not keep it and to point us to the fact that we needed a Savior, Jesus. And these verses that we've been looking at last week and this week, the Beatitudes are the result of finding that saviour. We become Christians by simply turning around from the way we're going and placing our trust in Jesus. That's an invitation open to anyone, anytime, anyone here, even this morning. But once we become Christians, we find we start to live out these principles that we're going to look at from the inside out. Christianity is an inside out religion not an outside in. Because who do these verses remind you of when we read them? Who do they describe? So come on, you must have gone to Sunday school. What's the answer? 
It's always, it's always the answer. The answer is Jesus. These, these verses we've read describe Jesus. To me, it's a very clear picture of Jesus. And we as Christians are supposed to be little Christs. These things that Jesus is describing, they're not natural talents that we have. These are character traits that the Holy Spirit works in us miraculously. That's the work of God living in us. I love this quote uh, from the author, Ronnie McBrayer. The Beatitudes, these verses, are no spiritual to-do list to be attempted by eager, rule-keeping disciples. It is a spiritual done list of the qualities God brings to bear in the lives and in the people who follow Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Not something we have to do, something that God does in us. These verses are a no-frills description of the Christian life. They're not just a collection of mysterious, beautiful sayings that we can put on posters or decorate our church buildings with, or for quoting and sounding as if we're sort of clever. They are a radical manifesto. These verses are a call to march to the beat of a different drum. Jesus' strategy for convincing those who are not yet Christians is not a course on evangelism, is to live our lives like this. The most important thing that wins other people to Christ is our lives and Jesus tells us if we live this way we will become like scattered salt like light in dark places and they're both effective because they're different this is a call not to blend in but to stand out this is a call to embrace God's revolution in our lives so that we can spark a revolution in those around us and those who say they follow Jesus but don't live like this Jesus calls unsalty salt, and that's only good to be thrown out. So let's look at what Jesus says in a bit more detail. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Well, what does blessed mean? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual word, isn't it? Maybe it means different things to different people. We often think of blessed when something good happens. Now, I don't know if you venture into social media very often, but if you do, you'll probably come across this. Hashtag blessed. Now, it's used for all sorts of things, I promise you. How about this one? My husband is cooking dinner, the kids are out with friends, life is just so good. Hashtag blessed. Some of them are about genuine things. I just made the last payment to Christians Against Poverty and now I'm debt free. Hash, blessed. Well, that's good. But they cover everything from the sublime to the ridiculous. From I got some new clothes, do I got a new house, do I got a new car, do I found a parking space. Some of them are just really a joke. Now, Please hear me. We should accept things from God 
as blessings, and they are. We should be thankful. We should rejoice. But these are not the blessings, the blessedness that Jesus is talking about here. He is talking about blessedness from God's perspective, not from ours. He is talking about blessedness that includes heaven, that has an eternal dimension, that might be a reward in heaven for a tough life here. Blessed is about God's favor, God's approval. Blessed is about having a soul that prospers. So if that's what blessed means, what does mercy mean? Well, it's a rich, rich subject. And uh, I could talk on this one all day, but for today, I want to use a definition given by uh, J. John, who's an international evangelist and an author. And he said this, mercy is forgiveness and kindness motivated by love. Mercy is compassion in action, applied compassion. His, that's God's, mercy comes first. The mercy we personally give is secondary and constitutes a poor imitation of the real thing. Mercy. If you want to know what mercy looks like, it's what God did for us in sending Jesus. There are such depths to the idea of mercy. Mercy is not just simply to feel sorry for someone in trouble. There's a sense in which the Hebrew words around mercy mean the ability to get right inside someone's skin. Until we feel the things they feel, until we see what they see, think with the things in their mind. And that's what God did. Jesus came as a man, fully God, fully man, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus knows what it's like to be in your and my skin, tempted in every way as we are, but without sin. He knows our state. That is mercy. Now, we tend to see mercy perhaps as a a dramatic thing in our, in our day. It makes headlines, doesn't it? Mercy dash, or mercy mission, an errand of mercy. Most of them seem to involve speed and, and exciting things like helicopters and you know, all that sort of stuff. It's, all, it's a very dramatic sort of thing. But if that's all we see mercy as, I think we can kind of miss out on what Jesus is really saying here. Miss out on the day-to-day impact that mercy should have on our life. It's not about a dramatic event. In practice, mercy is more simple, more down-to-earth, more common and everyday. Stretching out a hand to help someone in need. It's not box ticking. I served in the soup service last year. Mercy. Now, that's a great thing to do. Doing deliberate acts of mercy is a godly thing. Don't get me wrong. But actually, mercy needs to impact our day-by-day living. Mercy needs to extend to our personal relationships, to our finances, to our business practices. Don't you think it's interesting why those who are at the poorer end of the scale always get the worst deals in our culture? Why is that? Well, there are good reasons in some ways. You know, if, if you have a pay-as-you-go meter and all the thing, the firm will say it costs more to service those accounts. And maybe that's true, but it doesn't make it right, and it doesn't make it mercy. Mercy might change the way you do things. 
Mercy is costly. It costs Jesus. It will cost us. Maybe time, maybe money, maybe status. Jesus gave up all of those, left his natural home for our world, who was rich, became poor for us, who humbled himself and became a servant. The one who didn't need saving came to save someone who did. So let's try and bring mercy, if you like, from a dramatic thing to a more day-to-day level. I love this. Again from J. John in his book, The Happiness Secret. Mercy encourages forgiveness for the wrongdoer, consolation for the bereaved. We weep with those who weep. Comfort for the lonely, assistance for the poor. Mercy, great and small, is the oil that soothes the violent and rough machinery of everyday life. It produces smiles of encouragement, encouraging pats on the back, shoulders to cry on, and a listening ear. It is that wonderful quality that withholds criticism, that opts out of arguments, and that even offers a cup of tea at a time of crisis. Let's not despise small mercies. I was in a group recently Uh, One of our small groups where someone in the group has diabetes. Someone else in the group went to the library and got out a book on diabetes so they could understand what was going on for that other person. Small mercy. You never know how it impacts getting into the other person's skin. How merciful am I? Well, there are probably lots of ways of telling, but there is one good one, I think, don't know how well that's coming out. Here's a good way of testing how merciful you are. What do you do when someone is in your power? What do you do when you have the upper hand? What do you do when you have the opportunity to take your chance? Well, it's an interesting question. I'll leave you to answer that. But you see, mercy changes how we see other people. If I have received mercy from God, his unconditional love, his free forgiveness, his undeserved kindness, then my attitude to others must, must be changed. I need to see beyond their acts, beyond their brokenness, beyond even their evil deeds. I must see them as someone who is still where I used to be. I must see them as people who are precious to God, someone who God loves and wants to reach, maybe through me. How do we grow in mercy? Well, I don't know about you, but I need daily reminders of the mercy of God. Maybe morning and afternoon, maybe hourly, I'm not sure. (laughs) And that's how we should live. In the letter to the Romans, it says this, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous Mercy. You see, we're just responding. I encourage you, surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. When I forget or lose sight of God's mercy, I drift in the other direction. And you know what that is, don't you? Judgment. Judgment. 
How much I judge people is a measure of how much mercy I have really got hold of. When I forget that God looked at me and saw my situation, all my own fault, all my own mess, and God reached out to save me, he thought I was worth saving. How can I look at others and hide behind the same things? Well, it's their own fault. Well, they brought it on themselves. That's not the mercy of God. I know that when God's mercy is at the front and center of my thinking, it softens my heart because I know I have received mercy. That's not to say that mercy is easygoing. It's not a, well, whatever approach. And the reason we know that is because mercy is an attribute of God. And God is not like that. God brings together mercy and truth, righteousness and justice. If we can only think of mercy at the expense of truth, that is not a God-like approach. And this is not a straightforward area. There are situations in life where we have boundaries that may prevent us offering mercy. If you're a policeman, I think your duty is to apply the law, not to offer mercy. You're limited in your role. There may be others. If a crime has been committed against you, as a Christian, we have an obligation to forgive. And you may not press charges, but it doesn't preclude that. We all know of tragic and yet inspiring examples we see on the news of of Christian people who have had some horrific crime done against them or their family, and they choose to forgive as Jesus taught. And yet that person who committed that crime is tried and sentenced. Mercy, truth, justice. We need the wisdom of God in these situations. Just one final thing on mercy, because I don't want us to misunderstand this. It says, blessed are the merciful, they will receive mercy. That is not a cancellation of the good news of grace. You need to know that. This piece, this verse, we need to interpret in the light of what the Bible says altogether. It doesn't mean that grace is off, that if I am not merciful, I will not receive mercy. That doesn't make sense, because I received mercy when I'd never been merciful to anyone. I received mercy when I was far away from God. So what does it mean? Well, I found this helpful, and I've made a little diagram. So if you're up for a diagram, I hope this works for you. And I think this helps me understand this. You see the Christian, that's me and you, stands in the middle point of mercy. We look back to mercy that we have received from God. We constantly go back to the mercy that we have received. It's the source of our mercy shown to other people. That's the inspiration for our mercy is what we've received from God. And yet we also look forward to the mercy that we know we're going to need still. And on that final day that we need mercy. And yet the more we realize that, the more we act out mercy on those around us here, confident that God is going to give us mercy in his full time. How we are with others is a measure of how we are with God. So, for instance, when we meet new people in your street, in your job, in the church, 
Let's not judge by appearances. Let's not assume we know their story, that we've walked their path. Let's be merciful. Let's reach out to understand them, treat them with dignity as Jesus always did. People that God loves, let's be like Jesus to them. You never know what an act of mercy might do. Two weeks ago, we had people standing in the baptism pool here whose journey started with an act of mercy, a cap Christmas hamper, a leaflet given out in the marketplace. You never know what your act of mercy and kindness might do. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. Moving on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Following Jesus is all about our hearts, not about our externals. You only got to look at Jesus interacting with the Pharisees, the religious people in the Bible, to see that. It's not about what we do on the outside so much as what we are on the inside. It's not about how clever we are. The heart is the very center of our being. Here's what Jesus said about the heart. For from your heart, he's talking to all of us, come the evil ideas which lead you to kill, commit adultery, and do other immoral things, to rob, lie, and slander others. Interesting range of bad things there, don't you think? Our culture today tells us that if we can only give enough support, if we can only give more education, if we can only kind of progress as a human race, then all of our problems as society will be solved. They won't. That's not to say we shouldn't do any of those things. We should. But the Bible tells us that the problem is in here. The problem is the human heart. That's what the Bible and that's what Jesus said. We need to address the root cause. We are not, the Bible tells us, essentially good. We carry the image of God. We are precious to him. And no matter how broken, how damaged, how messed up we are, that is still there and God values us. And God valued and loved me despite my rebellious, selfish heart and that's the same for you. God wants a heart that is pure. That means washed clean, and that means single-minded. Can we do that ourselves? No. But God makes a great promise. In the Old Testament, in one of the prophets, God says this, and I will give you, hey, a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart heart. That is what God does when we become a Christian. The Christian sees God in a way that no one else can. Up close, personal, as we've been worshiping this morning. We, we can get up close and personal with God because our hearts are made new by trusting in Jesus. This is what it says in Hebrews. It encourages us Let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. That, brothers and sisters, is our status before God. That is our right because of what Jesus has done. And our job is to work it out from day 
today. We trust in what Jesus has done on the cross. We trust in his blood. We trust in his grace. But his grace also teaches us to say no to things that lead us away from him, to things that cloud our vision of him. The Bible tells us to run away from temptation, to fight sin, to help each other overcome our weaknesses, to be changed by the Holy Spirit in us, to become more like Jesus, to work out these beatitudes. We have a job to do. This is what it says in Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. What does that mean in practice? Well, it means thinking about what you're listening to, what you're reading, what you're putting in. Does it help you in your walk with God or does it not? It's about what you fill your mind with, what you think on, what do you mull over and taking those thoughts captive if they don't help you in your walk with God. It's about watching our attitudes that we don't become bitter Keeping short accounts, that means putting things right quickly with God and with others. Here's what it says in Hebrews again, an encouragement to us all. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out so that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We have been saved by grace and we have to work out our salvation. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Thirdly, blessed are the peacemakers. If you want to be like your heavenly dad, if you want to be a chip off the old block, you need to be a peacemaker. Now note, that's a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. Peacekeeper is a tough job. God is not into smoothing everything over just for a quiet life. You might have noticed that. God is into making peace, not keeping peace. And there is almost always a cost to making peace. We are not called to cover up stuff. We are called to face stuff. And that can be tough. This man knew a thing or two about it. This is Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who worked in South Africa after apartheid, who said this, if you want peace, you don't talk to your friends. You talk to your enemies. Why are there so many wars and tensions and difficulties? Well, it's back to the problem of the human heart and sin. But peacemakers talk to enemies, either your own, if it's personal, or to bring enemies together. So, a peacemaker is not primarily concerned with themselves. So if we want to be like our Father in heaven, we should be passively peaceable. What does that mean? Well, it means we should kind of ooze peace. You ever been with anybody like that? That oozes peace. They're cool. They bring it with them. They bring it in. The Christian should not be a troublemaker. Not prickly. Not a hedgehog. Should be humble 
approachable, sympathetic, quick to listen, slow to speak. To be like our Father in heaven, we should be active peacemakers too, not prepared to accept things as they are. That means doing something. Let me give you some examples of what that might look like. See if some of these land home for you. Being an active peacemaker means approaching your enemies in humility, treating those who oppose you gently, taking the initiative. Wasn't it Elton John who said, sorry seems to be the hardest word? He was right. That's what pride does. It might mean speaking up for those who have no voice or who can't defend themselves at work in your community. It might mean speaking up, it might mean shutting up. It might mean shutting up and not passing on something unkind someone else said about your friend. That's making peace. It might mean not repeating things that are not worth repeating. Social media users, please note. It might mean thinking about how what you are saying will impact the reputation, your reputation as a Christian, the reputation of the gospel, the reputation of the church and our faith. It might mean bringing peace into troubled situations. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And if we are living, truly living in the peace that God gives, then we carry peace with us. Jesus sent his disciples there and said, speak peace over the house where you say. We can impact the places we go and the things we do. I worked in industry for 25, 26 years, and I can give you numerous examples of meetings I went into that were set up to be really, really difficult. And I found through praying and just through bringing the peace of God into it, you change the outcome. Change the outcome. We can impact our world as peace bringers, not just in church, in business, in life. Children of God bring peace. After all, wasn't that, wasn't that the Christmas announcement? Peace on earth. That's what the angels sang. Wasn't Jesus the prince of peace? Jesus was not thinking of himself when he made peace. He made enemies, but he also made peace through his blood on the cross. Peace with God, peace with man, peace between us. And ultimately, that's the best peace we can offer to our world. The peace of moving towards reconciliation with God. Helping people to come closer to being reconciled to God. That's what the Bible says. We are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal through us. So let's reflect on how we can be more like our Heavenly Father. Are you living in peace? Are you a carrier of peace? That doesn't mean you have to wander around in some super spiritual sort of haze. You know, you can have peace in difficult circumstances. It means you are safe and secure in God and with God, which means you've got something to give away. And you can't give what you haven't got. Finally, and this is just a short comment, these last verses, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, say all manner of things about you. These last few verses are actually the consequence of living the first load of verses. Because if you live like these things set out, if that's what's coming out of you by the Spirit of God, I promise you, you will suffer in some way. 
Please note, though, it, doesn't, it does say, if you're persecuted for righteousness' sake and for my name, Jesus' name. It doesn't say, if you suffer because you are objectionable, being stupid, lacking wisdom, being arrogant, being self-righteous, being judgmental, being fanatical, being overzealous, or actually doing something that's wrong. Then you ask for it. But we suffer, the suffering Jesus is talking about is when you are being like Jesus for righteousness sake, for his name. When we are like Jesus and we suffer, that's something blessed and glorious. If you don't believe me, listen to Jesus himself. He said this, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. Don't go all martyrish on us. He's gone ahead. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If you don't believe Jesus, try Paul, writing to Timothy. Those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those who hate him. Now for us, in our society, what is it? The butt of jokes, low level, bit of aggro. We have brothers and sisters around the world, even today, who are giving their lives for this gospel. More than ever. So what, in what way can we respond? Well, I would suggest to you, we need to perhaps reflect. Perhaps we should be, have a greater urgency in what we're doing. Perhaps we should be more intentional. Jesus talked about working while there is light. We don't know where our country's going. We don't know what will happen. Maybe we should just focus and work while we have light. And do avoid a martyr complex. If you think being a Christian in 21st century Britain is tough, can I encourage you to read your New Testament? The church was born into and flourished in a violent anti-Christian culture. It's called the Roman Empire. Do you think we've got it tough? Read the pages of the New Testament. But the church outlived the Roman Empire and the church conquers and continues to grow. Do you know, I read something only yesterday. Do you know where the fastest rate of church growth is in the world? Not the biggest church, the fastest growth of rate? Iran. Not easy there. You see, the early Christians had such a clear focus on the blessed nature of what God was doing in them and the reward in heaven. If it meant it was tough here, that's okay because we know where we're going. Blessed are you if you are persecuted. It's a confirmation you're doing something right. Let me conclude. If the band could come back up now. Let me remind you, these verses are a stirring call to radical Christian living, to a life that is going to impact the world that is around us. So I want to encourage you. I see signs of all these things among us as a church. I see it there. But I say, Lord, come on, let's more. Let's see more. I want to encourage you as individuals and as a church to press into God for more. Press into his mercy for each of us so that we are rich in mercy 
for those we meet. Let's press into keeping our hearts pure so that we can get up close and personal with God and see him more clearly. And let's take hold of and live in this peace, this peace that Jesus has won for us so that we've got something to give away, that we can be peacemakers in this world. I just want to encourage you to think, what is God saying to you this morning about his mercy, about purity, and about peace? Hear him, listen to him, and respond. God bless you.